Welcome to Faithful Echoes, the sermon podcast from St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Cleveland, Tennessee. New episodes are available every Monday featuring the Collect of the Day, Scripture readings, and Father Joel Huffstetler's insightful sermon from the previous Sunday. Perfect for catching up on missed sermons or revisiting favorites, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and our website at www.stlukescleveland.org backslash podcast. Subscribe now for spiritual reflections that fit seamlessly into your week. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. A reading from the book of First Samuel. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Psalm appointed for this morning is Psalm 139, verses 1 through 5, 12 through 17, found on page 794 of the Book of Common Prayer. We will read responsively by half verse. Lord, you have searched me out and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You trace my journeys and my resting places. And are acquainted with all my ways. Indeed, there is not a word on my lips. But you, O Lord, know it altogether. You press upon me behind and before. And lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain to it. For you yourself created my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I will thank you because I am marvelously made. Your works are wonderful, and I know it well. My body was not hidden from you. While I was being made in secret and woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my limbs, yet unfinished in the womb, all of them were written in your book. They were fashioned day by day, when as yet there was none of them. How deep I find your thoughts, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I were to count them, they would be more in number than the sand. To count them all, my lifespan would need to be like yours. A reading from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that whoever is united to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, the two shall be one flesh. But anyone united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun fornication. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the fornicator sins against the body itself. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. For the fall semester of 1985, I enrolled at Candler School of Theology at Emory University in Atlanta. I went there to pursue a Master of Theological Studies degree, which is an academic degree. When I was at Candler, I did not take any pastoral courses. 
The primary degree for a pastor is an MDiv, a Master of Divinity. I did not take any MDiv courses when I was at Emory. I had no vision whatsoever that I might end up in pastoral ministry. Atlanta was a big change for me. I'm from a small town. I grew up very near Charlotte. You can see the skyline of Charlotte from high points in my hometown. But we were across the county line, and there was a difference between Charlotte and us. I grew up in what really was still a very small and quiet community. I went to a small college up in the northern part of North Carolina, very sleepy little college back then. And suddenly I found myself in Atlanta, GA, uh, before it became the ATL, by the way. It was just Atlanta back then. Um, It was a great experience to be at that great university and in that wonderful school of theology. And while there I made some wonderful friends. Ironically, I've lost touch with almost all of them over time, but in the day... I ran in a very tight circle of friends, one of whom was a woman named Laura Groton. Given our age difference, Laura Groton could have been my mother, but she was, in fact, a second-career theology student and a part-time student at Candler School of Theology. Laura lived in the toniest section of Buckhead, And I had grown up in a very working-class family, and so we would have appeared to have had very little in common with each other. But we actually got to know each other, and Laura and I really did become good friends. One night after a seminar dismissed, it was a Tuesday evening, I can remember to this day, after the seminar concluded, she came up to me and she said, By the way, have you found a church? You, full-time theology student. You, thinking you're going to go on for a Ph.D. in New Testament. Have you found a church? She said it very warmly, very unthreateningly. And the answer was no. At that point, I had not found a church. So she invited me to join her husband, Jim, and herself on a Sunday morning. I didn't have a really good reason to say no, so I said yes. And they met me for church one Sunday morning. The Episcopal liturgy had its effect. After one service, I knew I have found what I'm looking for. To be clear, I had no idea it would end up in this. (laughs) But I knew at least I'd found a church in which I could be comfortable. Every week I invite folks to fill out a visitor's card. I want you to know that on that first Sunday in Atlanta, I filled out a visitor's card. I wrote my name and the address at Emory, and at two o'clock that afternoon, a man named John Truslow called. I came to find out that Truslow is a big name in Atlanta. I came to find out later it's a big name at Sewanee. At the time, I knew none of this. I was a fresh, new graduate student in the School of Theology. But John Truslow called me at 2 o'clock that Sunday afternoon and thanked me for filling out a visitor's card and thanked me for worshiping at St. Philip's and offered to answer any questions I might have. I've never met John Truslow face to face, believe it or not. But I remember his name 
nearly 40 years later because he was kind enough to reach out to me when I was a visitor. By the spring of 1986, I decided to be confirmed. St. Philip's back then was the largest Episcopal church in the country. That is not true anymore. St. Martin's Houston, Texas is now the largest Episcopal church in the country. Back then, it was St. Philip's Cathedral, Atlanta. There were 50 people in the confirmation class. Back then, you won't believe it listening to me today, back then I was so shy and so reserved, I sat as far away from the priest as I could get during class. I sat on the back of the back row. And for eight to ten weeks, I never opened my mouth in class. Not once. I never asked a question. I never tried to draw attention to myself. And I'm certain when I was confirmed, the only person in that church who knew my name was the secretary who had put my name on the list of the confirmands. I was so quiet and reserved and shy back then, the clergy had no idea who I was. I was that young man on the back row. But here I am, largely because of an invitation. Have you found a church? Non-aggressive, non-threatening, not condescending, just a gracious invitation to come and see. I think about Laura Groton every time I read today's gospel lesson. We reach that point in the lesson where Philip says to Nathaniel, his friend, come and see. We've met someone we think may be the Messiah. Come and see. And so we're gathered on the second Sunday of the season of Epiphany. Every year Christmas rolls into the season of Epiphany when we continue to celebrate the Incarnation. But our celebration shifts as we get deeper into Epiphany. It, it moves forward. It's important to remember that the word Epiphany comes from the Greek for manifestation. And Epiphany is a manifestation. We use epiphany in our everyday language sometimes. We may say when we get home from work, I had an epiphany today. It means something has become clear to us that wasn't clear before. Something has been made manifest. That's what an epiphany is. In introducing his comments on today's gospel lesson, Fred Craddock writes, the biblical word central to the season of epiphany is revelation. For this is the time to celebrate the revealing of the Son of God. If you think about it, Christmas is a revelation. It's certainly a manifestation of the glory of God. What we celebrate in Epiphany can be framed like this. We celebrate that the babe of Bethlehem grew into the man of Nazareth. So Craddock says further about today's gospel lesson in the context of Epiphany. But the companion word to Revelation is witness. For Revelation in the biblical sense is never open and obvious to everyone. 
interested or not, believer or not. It's a very important point. Your epiphany may not be mine. Your moment of clarity may not be mine. A person who's received a revelation cannot assume that someone else has heard or seen or thought the same thing. And so Craddock is saying, regarding today's passage, in the context of Epiphany, yes, we celebrate the revelation that the Word became flesh. But our response to that revelation is meant to be witness. And so what we see in John chapter 1 is the beginning of the Jesus movement. We see in chapter 1 of John the beginning of Christian community. And you and I are gathered today for that very same purpose. To be intentionally involved in the Jesus movement. We're gathered this morning, where we thought about it consciously or not, we're gathered to be a part of Christian community. And we do so this morning, 2,000 years later, in continuity with Philip and Nathaniel, with Peter and Andrew, with James and John, with Mary, the mother of Jesus, with Mary Magdalene, and those countless millions between those first apostles and us. But we are here today in continuity with them. By the fall of 1985, I had a baseline faith in Jesus Christ when I showed up at Candler School of Theology. I did understand that Jesus was my Savior. I had been baptized And I certainly understood the significance of that holy moment. In college, I had a passion for the study of religion awaken. I went to college to be a business administration major. But I followed my heart and became a history major and a poli-sci major. And then I took a religion class. And here I am. In 1985, I had no idea that I would ever become an Episcopal priest. In 1985, I didn't know that I would ever find a church home in which I felt completely comfortable. But Laura Groton changed all that. A friend who in a gracious and positive way simply said, in effect, come and see. And I did. And I'm immensely and lastingly grateful for that gracious invitation. Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see. We know very little about Nathaniel biographically. He only appears in the Gospel of John. The synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, list a disciple called Bartholomew. The book of Acts has a disciple called Bartholomew. And they don't say anything about a Nathaniel. But in John, John talks about a Nathaniel but doesn't have a Bartholomew. So scholars have put their heads together and think perhaps Bartholomew and Nathaniel are the same person who at different times is understood 
to go by different names. It's not the greatest example in the world, but I decided to be called Joel, my given first name, only when I was in the eighth grade. Before that, I was Joey. Yes, Joey. And I'm Joey to this day in my hometown to people my parents' age. Every single relative of mine who is my parents' age calls me Joey to this day. My going with Joel had no effect whatsoever. (laughs) Zero on people who grew up knowing me as Joey. Perhaps a better example is the great writer C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples Lewis. C.S. Lewis went by Jack his entire adult life. No one who knew C.S. Lewis ever called him Clive. Never. Everyone who knew Lewis called him Jack. So it's perfectly plausible that Nathaniel and Bartholomew are in fact the same people. What we can glean about Nathaniel is this. He was at least, in part, prejudiced. His response to Jesus initially is one of prejudice. Philip says, I want you to meet Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Think about your favorite geographical prejudice. Think about the pride in your college and how you feel about that college's fiercest rival. It's easy to fall into the trap of prejudice. Sometimes it's not that big a deal. Sometimes it's a very big issue, our prejudices. But Nathaniel's initial reaction to Jesus was one of prejudice. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What does Philip say? Come and see. Don't let your first impression take away the possibility of relationship. We all know the truism. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Right? We all know that. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. And that's right as far as it goes. It's also unassailably true First impressions can be wrong, can't they? I can't count how many times my instinctive reaction to someone has proven invalid as to who that person actually is. It is true you never get a chance to make a sec- you never get a second chance to make a first impression. But first impressions can be wrong. Nathaniel's instinctive reaction to Jesus of Nazareth was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? As a good Jew, Nathaniel would have known the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem, not Nazareth. But Philip says, come and see. Give him a chance. Don't write him off before you meet him. And ultimately, Nathaniel's response is completely different from his initial impression. Ultimately, Nathaniel says to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. 
What made the difference between that initial reaction of hostility and the ultimate reaction of warmth and love? It was Philip who said, Come and see. Don't judge too quickly. Don't judge too harshly. I close with this. Eugene Peterson, one of the great theologians of our time, has said in the context of the season of Epiphany, none of us is yet whole in Christ. All of us are in the process of becoming. We are not finished products. Christ has pruning and shaping to do in us. It's a profound observation. And it's applicable to us all. None of us is yet whole in Christ. All of us are in the process of becoming. We are not finished products. Christ has pruning and shaping to do in us. When we think about Nathaniel, we realize we're all subject to the same temptation to prejudice as he felt. We too can have our lingering biases. But in time, Nathaniel saw the light. In time, Nathaniel had his epiphany and realized he was in the presence of the Messiah. Thank God when Jesus Christ calls us into relationship with him, he does not ask of us moral perfection. He does ask of us to have an open and receptive heart. Amen.